Welcome to Business Done Differently, the podcast about challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game in business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today, I'm pumped to welcome the author of Walt Disney's Way and the epic marketing guru himself, Andrew Locke, to Business Done Differently. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jesse. Good to be here. I'm fired up. You know, I connected you with you through your book, Walt Disney's Way, but you have a very interesting story of how you got into marketing. You're also holding up a toy right now in the middle of Walt. This is an audio show. What are you holding up, Andrew? (laughs) Is it Ernie or is it Bert? I don't know. It's one of them. I always get well, I bought this one because he's yellow. Yes. And he's friends with this one. So it's Bert and Ernie. You're holding them up right now. This is the <laughs> first time I've ever done an intro while holding them up. I, I never get thrown off like this. This is great, Andrew. Thank you. Create attention. One of the keys first to marketing. But other than playing with Bert and Ernie, tell me a little bit, give a context to your story because you fell in love with Walt and, and Walt Disney yeah. World, but you started with marketing. Share your story a little bit for listeners. Yeah. Well, actually it all started one day as a young British school kid. I mean, I'm still British, of course, but I was around 14 years old and I was in the doctor's waiting room, waiting for an appointment, and I picked up a Reader's Digest, which is a very, you know, the younger members of the listeners may not know what that is, but it's a widely circulated uh, magazine monthly. In that uh, Reader's Digest, there was an article all about Walt, and it just fascinated me. And I was so taken by this, I was called into the doctor. So I asked if I could take it. And I stayed up late that night reading the rest of the article. And I was so, I resonated so much with Walt. I was bullied at school. And he had kind of a, the things that he described about his childhood, I really resonated with. And from that point onwards, as a young 14-year-old, I just wanted to learn about Walt. And um, I never thought that I would even visit one of the theme parks being in England. But that time actually did come in uh, 1989 when I left school. And it just led to a lifelong quest of understanding him. And he was a a lot of the reason why I actually got into interested in marketing, because once you really understand deeply what he did and how he did it, he was such a genius. He really was. And the success of the business is no accident. It all traces back to Walt. You know, he had a lot of help and his brother was very supportive, but really it was Walt. It was his vision. It was his genius. And he was such a smart marketer. And it's funny because, you know, as I've studied it over the decades, studied him and the company, when they make a misstep as they do from time to time, it's actually very easy for me to see why it went wrong and why they shouldn't have done that in the first place because Walt set the model for them to follow. So it's so fascinating to me that you know, decades on where they do veer away from his original kind of uh, the things that he'd laid out. That's when things get messed up. But uh, yeah, I just, I love Walt. I'm fascinated by him. I've read every book and watched every documentary and visited (laughs) the parks hundreds of times. You know, I'm I'm a Disney geek for sure. That's why I guess we're kindred spirits. As, as <laughs> then what I've read, you know, so inspired by trying to bring it to the bananas. And you know what I picked up from that? Just 
uh, one of Walt's famous quotes was curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. And yeah. it just seemed like your curiosity. And I think people don't talk about that as much. And, and when Very you true. find something to keep digging and keep digging, keep digging. So you started doing tons of research, learning, going to the parks, fascinated yeah. with him. Yeah. And you ended up writing a book. But, you know, one thing that we talked about even before this call was you said, you know, everything is marketing. And I couldn't mm. agree more. Mm. Share with that perspective for you and that you've learned from Walt, because I think that's so important for the listeners to know. Yeah, Marketing is something that's very misunderstood. Some people equate it with advertising and certainly advertising is part of it. And some people think of sales, but it is very often confused. And in the book, I mentioned the official definition of marketing, which is quite snooze inducing. I'm just looking at for it it's now. It's not even memorable. You can't even remember. Yeah, exactly. It. Oh, here it is. So here's the official definition of marketing from the American Marketing Association. It says, Marketing is the process of planning and executing the conception, pricing, promotion, and distribution of ideas, goods, and services to create exchanges that satisfy individual and organizational objectives. You know, I have a very low tolerance for corporate speak, which is basically what that is. So I thought, you know, we need a better definition of marketing so that everyone can understand. And this is what I came up with. I say that marketing is anything anything that you or your employees do that affect other people's view of your business. That's it. And just to give you an example, you know, if you walk into, let's say a flower shop and you walk in there, you're ignored and you say, hello, you know, and you, the girls on the phone or whatever, what's your impression of that business? They don't care. Right. No one said anything. You immediately have that impression. Or to give another example, I received a box of cookies that I ordered online. I opened the box and there was this foul smell of smoke. And, you know, the person packing the box had obviously been smoking at the time they packed the box. And so, of course, my immediate reaction and my view of that company is negative. That is marketing. You know, I could go on and on with examples, but the point is, it is everything that you and your employees do. That's how important it is. You know, tell me about going to your history with Walt Disney. What was yeah. one thing that happened when you were younger or maybe at any point you were like, wow, this really touched me that you wanted to tell people about. And it was marketing, but it wasn't marketing. Does any little story or some yeah, points Absolutely. Out? Yeah. One of my favorites is... After the Disneyland opened, which was the park that he directly designed every nut and bolt essentially of, he loved walking around the park in the morning and he had a little apartment there above the fire station. And one of the mornings, not long after the park opened, Walt was up near the castle and one of the gardeners came rushing up to him and he said, Mr. Disney, we have a problem. Can I show you? So he said, come over here. So he said, look, the guests are walking over this grassy area and even on these flower beds to take pictures of the castle. We need to put a fence up to stop them doing that. And this is such an insight into Walt, his response without a moment's hesitation. He said, oh no. He said, the people are absolutely right. The guests are right. What we need is a pathway here, not a fence. Now, you see, that perfectly illustrates the difference between the average employee. And, you know, there was nothing wrong with the gardener's, his kind of attitude in terms of, you know, he wanted to protect the hard work that he'd done, right? There's nothing wrong with that. 
But what he failed to see was the bigger picture was why are we even doing that in the first place, right? It's for everything. It's for the guests. We're not making a nice garden so that we can protect it. And so Walt just, that was the brilliance of him. That was the genius was he didn't even need to think about it. He just said, oh, we actually need a pathway there. The guests are right. It's so good. And it's the simple genius. I'm going to put those two together. It's the simple genius. Mm. When you look under the outside, it's easy. You just gave me some of the most brilliant inspiration. You didn't even realize. I don't know if you (laughs) thought about this. I mean, are you creating pathways or are you putting out fences? Mm. And so are you creating pathways for your customers or your fans? Are you adding fences? And if you look at so many businesses, one- most- most. Most businesses, one person walks into your store without a shirt or something. You put up a sign that says, no shoes, no shirt, no service. And if you pay with this, sorry, you can only pay with this. And yeah. they putting more fences because yeah. of maybe one person went something differently. Or yeah, exactly. as, what does it say? We're going off script. We went yeah. off. And to your point about the store, Disney themselves adopt a practice of and many of these stores with, you know, fragile things, they say, you know, if, if you break this, we break your legs or, you know, they don't say that. But no, if you break it, you bought we, it. We, you bought it. Yeah. Disney's attitude is if you break something, we'll be happy to replace it for you. Yeah. And I know someone that actually happened to, they bought a very expensive $80 figurine that their, their young child accidentally dropped it. A cast member saw it without a moment's hesitation. They replaced it for them. And it was a wow moment, a wow experience. And they said, you know, our whole philosophy is we want guests to be happy. Yeah. You know, you would be sad if you had to walk out here, you'd broken that $80. It's much more important that you're happy because yes. you're going to come back again. Yes, 100%, 100%. I could jam on this for a while because I think it's so easy to think, are you creating pathways? Are you creating fences? And you mm-hmm. talk about this even indirectly in the way they connect all their stores in Disneyland and Disney World. Yeah. They literally have pathways going all the way through. Let's talk about the experience of a Disney store. I've had a few. I know you've had yeah, probably yeah. hundreds. Let's talk about the lessons we can take from the way their stores are created. Mm. Well, you mentioned one there, which is that there's no walls between the stores and Again, that was one of Walt's ideas that people should be able to walk from one to the other. You know, he felt that it would be a bad thing if someone had to exit a store and then go back in. If they're already in a store and they see other things down the line that can sort of entice them. And the other reason is it actually serves a practical value because when there's inclement weather, people can filter into the stores and walk all the way down Main Street undercover. Yes. Which it gives even more opportunities to shop as well. One other thing that they do, which it sort of defies belief that not more retailers do this, and I've actually never come across anyone that does it, and that is that they make it super duper easy to buy. So what I mean by that is, for example, if you you know you want maybe a large um, character, you know, toy or doll or like a, you know, a big R2-D2 or something. You obviously don't want to carry that around the park all day. And so Disney realized that would be a reason to prevent someone from buying one of those items. So what they do is if you stay at a Disney resort, all you have to do is say, oh, here's my room number. And at the end of the day, when you go back to your room, that item is in your room for you or whatever it is, anything. It doesn't have to be big. It can be anything you buy anywhere on Disney property. And then if you're not staying on a Disney resort, they will keep the item for you so that you can pick it up convenient location at the end of the day. So they realize what the pain points are. One of them being people don't want to carry things around all day in the park. And so they've overcome that by a simple 
thing that again wows the customer because no one else does that. Well, you know what? Wow, it's a customer making things easier. <laughs> you know, oh, to, yeah. it was a question I always asked. You know, Devin, our group's experience coordinator, she said, "This year, I'm gonna try to solve how to make it as easy as possible for a group to work with mm. us, team up with mm. us." And so she mapped out a year-round program of coordination, talking to them, connecting to them, getting their team to make it easier. It's a simple little thing. You know, again, creating a pathway for your yeah. Customer. There's you know, and this can be applied to every aspect of business as well. You know, one of the things that people often say to me is, but Andrew, you know, I'm not in the theme park business. Well, the point is, as you rightly saw from the book, in all of these things, what you can do is adapt the lesson from Disney. We're not saying you can, you should directly adopt it because you're not in the same business. But as taking that example of making it easy for people to buy, if you have a website and you sell, why are you making people register (laughs) as a customer before you accept their order. That's a barrier. Yes. It's, it's like a fence. And people do not like having to register in order to buy. If you make the process as easy as possible and as simple and straightforward, you know, my, the mind boggles as, as to how difficult it is for even big companies make it to buy something from them. It really is. It's it's astonishing how difficult they make well, it. It's you know I know we're going from Disney to Amazon, which is completely different. But you know the one click at Amazon. Yeah. I mean yeah. they've trademarked that. It's the one. How you? What's your one click experience for your business? And and I think that's so so key. All right, we we could jam on so many of these things. I, I want to go on a few things that are a little, little bit premium. Sure, sure. In pricing, but I do want to go. You had a whole chapter about on creating a magical experience, mm. and Disney talks so much about magic. They talk about the experience, but I really want to know what wowed you about that, and maybe a, a particular example yeah. from Disney that also is applicable or something that we can. Yeah, the experience aspect again is not coincidental. Harvard Business Review did a. a a milestone report a few years back where they traced the history of retailing. And what they found was that we went from originally what they called the agricultural economy to the service economy in like the 60s, 70s and 80s. Then we went to the experience economy, which is now. And what that essentially means is that although the last sort of, or the last kind of process of the way that people like to buy was predominantly, what's the word? It, it was the, the overriding factor that people looked at was uh, customer service. But we've now reached a point where good customer service is expected. And we've now gone beyond that into what's called the experience economy. So Walt was actually decades ahead of his time because he was really focused on the experience economy way back then. But the point is that any business that's not focused on creating an experience is in real danger of going the way of the dodo. Because even if you have a commodity type product or service, people still want experiences. And long gone are the days of transactional selling. It is not good enough today to say, hey, I have this product or service. Would you like it or not? If you would, here's the amount of money you need to pay me. Mm-hmm. People don't tolerate that anymore. You know, just to give you a quick example from another industry, if you take flying, for example, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, all the airlines focused on customer service. We have the nicest staff and all the rest of it. Well, the Middle Eastern airlines really leapfrogged them because the most of the American airlines and the British airlines 
thought, well, that's it. You know, that's what people want. And they failed to move past that. But then you look at airlines like Qatar, Emirates, and so on, and it is absolutely mind-blowing how much better. The what, are they, what are they doing? I haven't flown in. So, oh, so first of all, on Qatar, for example, they give you a menu that's like a Cheesecake Factory menu, right? It's a humongous menu. And think about that. It's so obvious, and yet no one does it. What they say to you is, here's the menu. Whenever you're hungry, just let us know and we'll bring you what you want, right? That all the US airlines and a British airline, pretty much every airline says, this is the meal time and you have these two or three choices, right? The Middle Eastern airlines, they threw that out the window because people don't want to always eat when, when they're told to eat, do they? No, they want they want the freedom. So so do they have like a full kitchen in these planes? They don't have a full kitchen, but they have they have more choice. Uh, like on Qatar, I think they have like a dozen different juice selections, for example. It's amazing. And all these different teas and so on. So in addition to that, um, in the center section, the, the two seats that, that are together can be converted into a double bed if you're traveling with a partner, uh, you know, a, a mate. So that's, you know, other airlines didn't even think of that. Uh, the the TV screen in front of you is like, you know, like one that you have at home. It's absolutely enormous. It's very immersive and, you know, it's an experience. It's a wow experience. There's There's so many things that they do that solve irritations that people have on, you know, these other airlines that I mentioned. And I travel a lot, so I see these things firsthand. Any airline could do it, but they don't. It's hard. It's hard to do these. It was hard what Walt Disney did in 1950. It was hard, but you yeah, know what? It takes a lot. It definitely takes more effort. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it going to be a lot harder when you're out of business. <laughs> oh, for sure. You know, I, I wrote the other day as I'm working on uh, our next book and it, you know, normal is the new friction. You know, I say one mm. of the first steps to creating fans mm. is eliminating the friction and normal is the new friction. Our expectations Absolutely. are so high. We get attention, everything so fast. We get what we want. Normal is the new friction. And I think not only just offering magical or above and, uh, you know, wow experiences, you also talk about like, there's also a level of premium experience. <laughs> you have a whole chapter on this, which mm. I got to be honest with you, Andrew, and I know the listeners know this. I don't talk about dollars. I don't talk about money much. When I saw that Walt had his quote, money doesn't excite me, my ideas excite me. I was like, oh my goodness, Walt, we're speaking the same language. I get more fired up about doing crazy yeah. things at the ballpark yeah. and changing yeah. the game than yeah. I do money. However, yeah. you do need money to work. And luckily right. Walt had Roy who could find the money. All right, it that's was it. That's it. So I do, at a defense for our president, Jared Orden and our team, need to look at these premium experiences because there are opportunities not to get more money, not to extract money, but to offer more, which is worthy of more money from the fans. So talk to me about the premium experiences at Disney. Explain yeah. that to me and, and let's go on there. One of my mentors shared with me many years ago something that always stuck with me, and that is that in any business, there's always around 20% of your customers, clients, guests, whatever you want to call them, that just want the best. doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what the price is within reason. They just want the best that you have. And if you don't have that, there's no way that they can buy it. They still want it, but if you don't offer it, you're not going to get the sale, right? So in line with that, a great quote, which I don't know who first said this, but I just love this, is that people tend in business, business owners tend to sell as they would buy. 
what that essentially means is that we tend to sell according to our own preferences. So if we tend to be ourselves somewhat of a price shopper, we'll tend to sell in that way based on, hey, we have the best prices, right? If we ourselves tend to be someone who's very focused on the importance of customer service when we buy something, that's how we'll tend to sell. And of course, what we need to realize is that not everyone is like us. And that's why we need to have this feedback. You know, people have many, many different preferences. Price, incidentally, is generally at the lowest on the rung of importance. Very few people get that. Most people do not shop by price, even if they say they do. They don't because the value, the customer service, there's so many other things that are more important if you get into it with them and they go, oh yeah, actually that is more important. But anyway, coming back to the key lesson here about premium pricing, Disney have really ran with this in the last few years. So one of the things that was, they realized they sort of hit a barrier with was soft drinks. So they've had arrangement with Coke products for decades. But the challenge is that Everybody knows the price of a Coke, right? Everybody knows that if you go into a local store, you know, you pay about a dollar for a Coke. Well, Disney, of course, pushed the boundary because they can, but they can only push it so far. So they found, you know, like about $4 was the limit of what they could charge for a Coke. So what they realized was they needed to do something creative and get step outside of those limits. So they did two things. The first thing that they did with the new Star Wars land at Disneyland and Disney Studios in Florida was they went to Coke and they said, can you make us some special themed Coke bottles for all the Coke products, like Coke, Sprite, Dasani water, and so on. And so Coke came back to them and they said, sure. And so they created these bottles that are sort of have Star Wars like designs from the movies with unique character writing. And the only place in the world that you can buy them is at those parks. Well, they're filled with the exact same Coke, the exact same Sprite, the exact same water, but they charge eight or nine dollars. Mm for each one of those, just those little bottles. They have a special milk, I see. And then also at Universal did this with Harry Potter. They have the uh, right. butter beer. Yes. So that was the other thing they did was they created unique drinks yes. that you can't get anywhere else. And those they can charge 12 to $15 for. They first did it at Cars Land, Disney California Adventure. They have five different drinks that are unique. And it was very, very successful. And so they rolled it out in the new fantasy land, they have a drink called Le Fou's Brew. And as you say, they did it with two different blue and yellow, maybe yellow milk or yeah. pink. I forget. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, 12 to $15. And again, it speaks to that fact. There's always a market for the most premium thing that you can offer. And that also ties in with the principle of don't allow guests to create apples to apples comparisons in their mind. So one thing you may want to consider, I don't know the details of how you, you run the stadium there, but one thing that you may want to consider is approaching a vendor that sells you know, drinks that you can't get other places. You could have a unique, yeah. um, oh, look at that, banana cream. I love it. Yeah, that's banana awesome. Banana cream soda. And then, yeah, they got this as our uh, special banana beer. Oh, that's awesome. I would totally have that cream soda. That sounds amazing. So yeah, I mean, a great example. And like, you know, if you're doing popcorn, for example, Disney doesn't sell just popcorn. It's always has some theming 
and unique flavor around it. So if you were doing popcorn, you could have it banana flavored, for example, you know, with maybe little banana chips or whatever. But the point is, people cannot get that anywhere else. And because of that, they can't make the apples to apples comparison. And so you can charge a premium price. That's so good. You know, I can't wait. I'm so excited to share this with our team because you're right. I think the, gr- the first point you made, uh, if we're not willing to buy it, we feel like there's not a customer base that buys it. And I always worry about, you know, uh, I don't think about leaving money on the table. I think about leaving fans on the table, but theoretically we actually are if fans want these types of things. So I need yeah. to realize that it's not just about <laughs> the money. Um, it's not just about the money, but also Jesse, it ties in with the experience, which is yes. another plus Yes, because when someone experiences the banana cream soda or the banana popcorn or whatever it is, it is an experience because they've never had that before. Mm. And the only place they can get it in the world is at that stadium. So it makes it very special and it makes it another part of all of these little different things that you've done to create an experience that is unique. I love it. How does this premium experience, and you also mentioned like Club 33, which we're thinking about yeah. design, coming up with a Club 26. So we've got some concepts at our stadium. Yeah. I mean, that, what do they charge you for that? It's like a 25,000 initiation fee or something? Yeah. So Club 33 was an original club that Walt created to host visiting dignitaries because if they were just to walk through the park, they would get mobbed. So he needed a private place within the park that he could take them uh, that was, it ha- had a restaurant and a bar and so on. Well, after Walt passed away, they thought they could you know, keep it going, but just make it a very exclusive private club for members only. And it's become so popular. There's a 10 plus year waiting list. So at times it's been even up to 15 years. And as you say, $25,000 initiation fee plus annual dues. And there's always, always a waiting list for it because it's that exclusive. Mm. So what are those, not only just the regular items that you can plus as Walt would do, but what are those exclusive, you know, limited access opportunities? Mm. And you'd be afraid like, oh, you know, I'm just a, uh, you know, I'm a flower shoppies that are, I'm a plumber. I'm like, there's always another, oh, absolutely. there's levels always. of cream. Yeah. hundred percent. Andrew, how does that fit in with a pricing model? Cause you have a whole chapter on a pricing model as well. Well, you mean in terms of just like pricing, like how that, like your pricing principle you talk about earlier. So yeah, they basically what they've tried to do over the years is have something to serve everyone. And if you look at their hotels and resorts, that's a good example because right on the lowest end, if someone's on a limited budget, they have the campground, which again is still experiential and they've put great effort into making that very nice there, but it's affordable. And then they have the what they call, excuse me, the value resorts, moderate resorts. Then they have the premium resorts and now they've added ultra premium. (laughs) And so as an example on that, probably most listeners have seen these uh, water bungalows in Bora Bora, you know, on stilts. Mm, Absolutely fantastic, you know, luxury. Well, Disney looked at that and they said, well, we could do something like that on our lagoon. And so they built think about a dozen of these bungalows, just like the ones in Bora Bora on stilts, directly facing the Magic Kingdom so that they have like an uninterrupted view of the castle and the fireworks at night. Each one has its own private hot tub as well. They're amazing. And they're two and a half thousand dollars a night. (laughs) So, you know, Disney realizes that there's the whole spectrum of people that want to visit the parks. And uh, so they have something for everybody in the pricing. But the thing that they've really embraced in recent years is, is pushing 
the upper limits. They've done it with ticket prices. They've done it with the things that you can buy in the parks. They've done it with the resorts. And, and that's really a big lesson. And it speaks to the fact that at that upper end, price largely becomes irrelevant. You know, as long as people can sort of roughly equate the fact that there's value and the fact that, you know, for a lot of people at those price points, basically what it is, is bragging rights. You know, hey, we stayed at the Bora Bora bungalows and we had our own view of the, you know, the fireworks. That's what people really want when they buy those types of things. They want the bragging rights to tell a story to their friends. And Disney realizes that. And so they say, well, we're happy to provide that to you. Inspire me. I'm literally thinking, how can we put bungalows on wheels? Wheel them out, <laughs> wheel them out to the home plate in the mound, sleep under the stars at the stadium <laughs> with a side hut tub in it. You got me thinking about all. Well, actually, in the concept, we're uh, looking at building uh, epic tree houses at our stadium. Oh, that's so great. People can stay in the woods. So it's all that kind of thing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. All right, I want to get into the games. But I want to just read one of your quotes, which I think is so powerful. In your own business, set the ground rules for what's important to you. And mm. most importantly, stick to them. Become mm. known for details that separate you from your competition and be sure to maintain those details to a high standard. Yeah. Andrew, that is spot on. I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit of that because you talk, obviously, you know, we've already talked Disney, everything speaks, the details, you know, talk about the difference between Universal and Disney experience, which yeah. was hilarious, yeah. but tell me why that matters to you so much. Well, the you really sort of through no fault of their own, the average business owner is so involved in getting the business going. And there's so many things that need to be done on a day-to-day basis. It is so easy and it's so natural and understandable that they don't really consciously think about the things that they want and don't want in their business. So, you know, what tends to happen is they get just pushed along by whatever forces are out there and before they realize it, they're in a situation where, oh, you know, how did we get here? Well, it's because they didn't set the ground rules. So that's why, you know, I love your comments in this interview today, because you clearly are strategically giving thought to all of these different aspects. And that's what needs to happen is once you realize, well, you know, in order to stand out from the crowd, in order to really gain traction and grow this business, we have to do things differently. We have to essentially do the opposite of what most businesses are doing, which is what Walt did, by the way. Mm. He went completely against what the entertainment business was doing. He did it in the movies. He did it in the theme parks. I mean, you know, that's a whole topic for another time, but that's what it takes to really grow a business these days. So as part of that is there has to be that strategic thinking of what exactly do we want and what exactly do we not want? And once you've set those ground rules, those ground rules then guide you in making every decision. So it actually makes running the business so much easier because you've already set the parameters, you've set the goalposts. And when, let's say, you know, an offer comes along that doesn't fit that, it's easy to say no. Whereas if you don't have those ground rules, you'll be like, mm, should we, shouldn't we? Because you, you, know, you just don't know what you should do. 
So good. You know, as, as the listeners know, you know, the name of our company is Fans First Entertainment. Our mission, Fans First Entertain Always. Yeah. Everything says, is it Fans First? So we actually, we are fanatic about the fan experience. And so it makes the decisions. Yeah, of course, when they buy a ticket, they should get a video that's hilarious yeah. and send back to them. Then they should get a thank you call. Then we should send them a playlist of music to listen to on the way to the game. Then because we're fanatic about it. Mm-hmm. What are you fanatical about? And I think so- the word obsessed and fanatic is looked at in a negative way. If you want to have a great business, and make a real difference, you have to be obsessed. Oh my goodness. Walt was obsessed to the extreme. And (laughs) but that's yeah, what made it work was and his focus was always on the guest. You know, when he because he loved to spend so much time in the park, one of his favorite places was actually the ice cream store at the very end of Main Street. Mm -hmm. And he would often don an apron and serve guests in there and his scoops would always be the largest Mm -hmm. and he would say to guests you know what did you you know what's been your favorite thing about your visit today you know what did you like you not like and he would constantly be you know taking that feedback Richard Branson did the same thing when he started Virgin Atlantic and that's what led him to create innovations like they were the first airline to offer a choice of three meals in economy because guests kept saying that's what they wanted Mm -hmm. he was the first airline to offer ice cream snacks in economy because guests said that's what they wanted. He was the first one to have the seat back TVs because guests said that's what they wanted. They were bored. It's not difficult if you listen to what guests want. And again, the problem with most businesses is they think they know best. They think they know what the customer wants, but they're not the customer. Yeah. Again, this has been inspired by Walt, but every season, myself and everyone on our staff goes undercover as a fan. We talk to the fans, we walk in. And most people just sit and experience the game. I've now over the last few years, I Mm. sit and luckily I'm in a full disguise. I'm not in my yellow tuxedo. I talk to the fans and I ask them, you know, I've never been to a game. Tell me, what do you like best? Oh, well, you got to watch this. You got to watch this. I'm hearing it over and over again. What's so interesting though, last game, People heard my voice because I'm on the microphone. People start, it's and, and my cover was going way too easy. So I got to figure out, I got to change my voice. But I want to go to a couple of games, Andrew. I want to have a little fun. I know you're battling some cough and some allergies, but we're still going to have fun with this game. All right. All right. All right. This is truth and dare. Yeah. Which one would you like first? Oh my goodness. Dude, truth. Truth. Okay. The question I despise the most is what are your greatest failures? What are your biggest failures? I don't, mm. don't want to change the conversation. I don't want to talk about yeah. failures. What is some of the best discoveries or lessons that you've learned personally in business or marketing that really stand out for you? Very, yeah, good question. One of the biggest ones is to always do diligence when you're getting involved with any kind of long-term partner or vendor. And the way that I do that is to ask them for our referrals from three people that they have done business with. And if they can't provide that, then you know that's a big red flag there because anybody should be able to say, oh, you know, speak to these three people. And, you know, and I've done that on occasions and all three have said, oh, don't do business with that guy, you know? Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's, a, it's quite a helpful um, filter. That's good. It's not, just, it's not just referrals. It's referrals of people they've done business with. And yes. So that's a different yes. relationship. Specifically, yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's been very helpful. I'm not big on contracts because I've found that over the years, the only ones that win are the lawyers. Because if you get into a difficult situation, it's the lawyers that get all the fees. It drags on for years and so on. And so what I do if I have a a need for an agreement is between us, I'll ask that we both write up a simple agreement that both people can understand that's written in plain English. And at the 
And of course, we both sign it. And the sort of provision for if something goes wrong is we will both designate a one lawyer who neither of us have a connection with. And that one lawyer will look at the facts of the situation based on what we both say. And that that one lawyer will make a decision. Cool. (laughs) And I found that very helpful because I've come unstuck a couple of times where you know, I've done everything that I should have done in some relationships. I got sued. It's dragged on, cost a lot, a lot of money. Unfortunately, you know, the, the States particularly is very litigious. And, you know, and like I say, the only ones that win are the lawyers. 100%. All right. Don't think you're getting out of the dare, okay? I right, sure. Let's do it. <laughs> As the <laughs> listeners know, we do at the stadium a game called Sing Off. And okay. so we have 2,000 fans in one grandstand versus 2,000 fans in another grandstand. Wow. We play three songs. Yeah. And whenever the song stops, they have to finish that song lyric. And so you, my friend, <laughs> as soon as the song stops, you have to finish that song lyric. I'm going a Disney song. I got to agree, Andrew, this is going to be a tough one. For mm-hmm. someone who has a couple kids at home, this is very easy for me. But okay, it's no kids. Recent, so... recent Disney movie, okay? All right, let's see. If you don't know it, it's okay. Okay. Here we go. When it stops, finish that song lyric. Let's begin. Yes, it's really me. It's Maui. Breathe it in. I know it's a lot. The hair, the bod. When you're staring at a demigod. Can I say except... Oh, I've heard the song, but I don't know the lyric. What can I say except you're welcome? Uh, uh, it's actually The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, playing Maui in Moana, which is because... Ah, uh, yes, yeah. I haven't seen it. I have heard the song, but yeah. I got a lot. That was a hard one. I was a very I, hard one. I just had Jeff Barnes from The Wisdom of... Well, I let him do Let It Go from Frozen. So I did a harder oh, one. Oh, I could have done that. This uh, is the but, problem with not having kids, you see. Otherwise, I'd probably know them inside. I know. I know. That was very, <laughs> very you know, I knew it as I was going there. But no, but the whole theme is like, you know, again, <laughs> there actually is a theme there. Attention to details. You know, I was listening to Steve Robinson and I know David Saylor, who was on the show from mm. Chick-fil-A. Their brand signature is now My Pleasure at Chick-fil-A. Yes, again, I, know I love that. I but it's my that. pleasure. And it's those little details. They're known for my pleasure. And I think those details, as we were talking about before, are so important. So the simple, yeah. you're welcome. What you say when people thank you, that matters. Definitely. Oh, and we could do a whole talk just about language. And again, that came from, whoa, there's one of my pet peeves. And I think I may have wrote, written this in the book is when I go into a restaurant and, you know, I ask for something, let's say, and they say, what's a typical response? No problem. Yes, is the classic. Yes, and I just can't help think. Well, why should it have been a problem? It's a terrible phrase to use. Yes, and of course, people—they're not really thinking about why they say it. But anyone, any company that I'm involved with, I train everyone to say "my pleasure" or "you're welcome" because it's such a nice, positive, friendly term. It sounds so much more, you know, elevated, and it just has a nice connotation. But no problem, or there's many phrases like that that are just, they become cliche, yeah. but they have a very negative connotation and, and it's not a good thing. And even, you know, even in some places that should know better, you know, where, where the, they're selling premium price products and services. Well, as an example, I just flew first class on British Airways back from LA and, you know, they have very highly trained cabin crew and especially in first class. But again, they said no problem. I was thinking, oh, makes me cringe. Oh, you know? it's, not, it's so tough. And we, we teach it too. I mean, obviously Walt was the, you know, from costumes to cast right. members yes. to guests. Yeah. 
Do auditioning for a role. I mean, you put you're in a show and the same thing for us. We think about that constantly. We actually don't use the title managers at mm. all. We don't have any managers. You know why? Right. I don't believe anyone wants to be managed. I think people want to be led. There's a Absolutely. big thing. We don't use training. We believe dogs are trained. Humans aren't trained. They're coached. They're taught. They're educated. They're brilliant. Made. It's brilliant. Clear. So language. It, it does matter. And, and this is not just being pedantic. It actually really does matter. And to give a quick example of that, when he came up with calling them guests, it was highly strategic because when the cast members and workers were helped to understand and use that terminology, it actually does change the way that you interact. Because how do you treat a guest? Let's say you have someone, you know, a dignitary or something coming to your home and they're a guest. How would you treat a guest? You entertain them. Right. You would certainly welcome them. You would do everything that you can to make sure they had a good experience. If you then translate that to how do you treat a customer, Mm. it doesn't have the same depth of meaning. Transaction. It's a transaction or client. It's the same thing. Or vendor or even. So again, Walt was so ahead of his time and realized the importance of these types of terms. Um, so really every business should yeah. treat their customers as guests. And I'm actually taking another step further. And I know from a sports teams, I believe I'm on a mission to change the language from customers to fans. Mm. I believe you look at a fan and- Fan is next level. Oh, it's next level. When you think of like, what are you a fan of? Immediately you light up, you get energy, yeah. you spark. And if you treat everyone, if I say, Andrew, I'm a huge fan of you, you want to give yeah. me more time. You want to be there. Absolutely. So I'm on next seven fans. All right. Very good. Yeah. We could go on so many things there, but I want to keep rolling <laughs> a little bit. All right. Let's do a quick, I want to do a Walt Disney marketing showdown. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to name- a type of business or industry and based on some of the, the secrets that you've learned for entrepreneurs and the lessons, yeah. something, give an example of if you were running that business as well, maybe something you would do with. Okay. Yeah, sure. All right. So let's go a fast food restaurant. So if you're mm. a fast food restaurant, what yep. would you do similar from Walt's lessons? First of all, I would have tasting available, which very few people do, mm. especially with new products. That's why it works at Costco. Sales or sales go up whenever they do a tasting. It also adds to the experience. I would hand out menu cards when there's long lines so that people can be browsing the menu while they're waiting. It stops people from leaving and it makes the ordering go faster too. I would train the staff, help them to understand that if someone spills a drink, they should immediately replace it. They should never charge a customer for a replacement. Oh my goodness. Well, no, 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 this is good. This is good. I'm going to throw another one at you. You can even throw one at me after this, but I'll yeah. throw another one at you. All right, let's go. You're a t-shirt, uh, like a lifestyle t-shirt company. Like you just t-shirt sell company. T-shirts. Yeah. What about you? I would put a lot of effort into trying to get celebrities to wear those t-shirts because you know it's very aspirational if someone sees a yeah. celebrity wear something like that. I would also make them unique. I would try to add in elements you wouldn't normally see in a t-shirt design, whether it's sort of um, something that makes it more sort of 3D-like or some other, I would look for other technologies that are new. Disney's and, done this too, right? Hasn't Disney oh, yeah. talk about their shirts and how they are at different levels? Yeah, 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 exactly. I would also invite the guests to submit designs because people support what they help to create. Mm-hmm. And that's a great way to increase sales is to get them involved. Oh, I love it. Give your fans a say. That's that's a whole section I'm talking about in the book. I love it. Do you want to throw one at me or do you want to go? I can, you can throw one yeah. at me. All right. All right. What do you got? All right. Let's see. What would you do? Walt would you do? I like that. That's a better game. Walt would you do? <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> Walt, Walt would you do for a 
bakery. Oh, all right. A bakery. All right. So, I mean, immediately, I think what Walt was so good at was the opening shots, the first impressions, you know, how you walk into Disneyland, you got everything wow in the beginning. So I would think about the whole opening of the bakery on the outside. So how can you make the front a larger than life entrance? So again, this is after COVID. So I would- Experiential, yeah. Experiential. I would have a baker character. I would have a baker mascot. I would have a character that is larger than life, that I would overemphasize them, that they would- I would show them everywhere that you want to get pictures with out in front, the special baker. You were spot on on the free samples. I think I would have, yeah, there'd be special drops at three o'clock or two, like the three o'clock for parade. And then all of a sudden it's all these special food comes out at three o'clock. So there's a line yeah. that you get yeah. to have it. That's a fun one. I could go on for a while on that one, but that's uh So one other thing that they actually do in their parks, in the bakeries, I don't know if you know oh, this. Good. No, tell me. I'm they, they invented their patented technology called a smellitzer. Yes. And what it does is it actually pumps out the beautiful smell of freshly baked bread Mm. out into the street. And that's one of the things that helps to draw people in. Brilliant. Smells are so good. I love that. Smells are good. All right, let's go some rapid fire here. All right. So rapid fire, you say innovation over invention. Hit me, Andrew. Why? Because the inventors are the ones with their arrows in their back. They're the ones that are the trailblazers and the world needs them, but generally they don't make the money. The innovators are the ones that take an invention and make it better. And that's exactly what Walt did. He didn't invent theme parks. He didn't invent movies. He just found a way to make them better. Oh, I love it. All right. Marketing minute here. The best thing you've done to market yourself, maybe that you've learned from Walt, or maybe you've just learned through your lessons. The best thing I've done myself is I started a, an online TV show back in 2009 called Help my business sucks. And just by hearing that title, people knew what the show was about and they knew that it was going to be entertaining. Uh, So good. And you know, Walt Disney did the same thing. He had eight months of promoting Disneyland before it opened and he got too many people. That's really, all right. What's the future of marketing? There's definitely more in the experience side of things. You know, we're, there's a few companies that do that well, but more than ever, that's what people crave is give me an experience that wows me. I don't want transactional selling anymore. I love it. Okay. All right. Disney, we talked about, I don't like the word failures, but Disney had a lot of failures in the seventies, eighties and nineties. They had turnover at 83%. They had new people coming to Michael Eisner. What was some of the best lessons that you've learned from like those failures that uh, people can take away from? So many lessons. Well, the turnover was interesting when they had such huge turnover. I thought that was- Yeah. After Walt died, they sort of lost their way and they were well on the way to creating the Magic Kingdom. Um, but it, the the morale certainly dropped. Mm. And there was so much emphasis on creating the Magic Kingdom that when it was finally done, it was sort of, everybody got quite sort of depressed and down. And um, they had to really go back to the roots. And they created a training program that was based on a lot of the principles that Walt had put in place. And so where, where they really get on, got back on track again was by asking, what would Walt do? Mm. And when they kept asking that question in relation to business decisions that they needed to make, they did the right thing. So they kept asking, what would Walt do? And Walt said, of all the things I've done, the most vital is coordinating those who work with me and aiming their efforts at a certain goal. And they wow. lost their way, but it gave the purpose of why they were doing the traditions. I really thought that was a yeah. great thing. All right. Last three outs here. You talk a lot about standing out, my friend, and I appreciate the listeners don't know you're wearing yellow, which is awesome. I'm always <laughs> rocking the tuxedo. Indeed. You talk a lot about standing out. What would be advice to someone to stand out? 
Well, in the most simplest terms, it's doing the opposite of what you see most people doing. And it takes great courage to do that. You know, in, in the most simplest term, let's say you're a plumber, most plumbers still advertise in the yellow pages and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that or on the yellow pages online. But if you look through the ads there, they all essentially look the same. Mm. And so what you've got to do is do something radically different. If you see that most of them are charging a call out charge, which is what they do, then make it free for the call out and figure out the pricing, incorporate, you know, that fee in some other aspect of the business. But, it, you know, that's in the most simplest terms, it's doing the opposite of what you see every other business in your space do. And that's what you did too. Whatever is normal, do the exact opposite. I say all the time. And I think that's what, that's what stands mm. out. It's so good. All right. What does fans first mean to you? Well, fans first is the philosophy of, uh, of keeping in mind that the customer is the lifeblood of the business. You know, we can have all the craziest ideas under the sun, but if they don't fundamentally serve the fans, what's the point? So it's a filter, you know, when you have that mentality, that philosophy, and you run the business by that, our fans are always first. You will always make the right decisions because you'll have them in mind, just like the gardener story with Walt. It was to him, it was he had the bl the blinders on, and that's why he couldn't see the wood for the trees. He couldn't see the bigger picture, which is what mattered. It was all for the guests. I Likewise with you, it's all for the fans. I love it. I always finish with the question, what makes someone unforgettable? But I'm going to go a different direction here because I think this story is unforgettable. Share the priority story, the the letter from Art to Walt. I think that's just a great way. Yeah, to I think I end the book with this. Is that right? Yes, you do. And it, yeah. it really uh, hit home with me. And I think it's, I never knew it. It was the first time I heard this story. Uh, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. So Art Linkletter, who was a very famous reporter in around Walt's, I don't know if he's still alive, is he? On one occasion, Walt sent a letter to his good friend Art, who I think helped him open Disneyland back in the day. He was involved in it. And Walt included a photo of a small, a young boy just sort of staring off into the distance. And underneath the photo, it just had a single word that Walt had written in as a caption. And the word, the one word was priorities. And so that sort of immediately captured Art's attention. And as he wrote, as he read the letter, what Walt said to Art was, he said, a hundred years from now, it won't matter what's in your bank account or the kind of car you drive. It will only matter that you made a difference in the life of a child. Hmm. So that really speaks again to Walt's, what was in his heart about why he started the park. If you really trace it back, it was, he was sitting on a park bench opposite the carousel, the merry-go-round at Griffith Park, which I was able to visit actually a few weeks ago for the first time. And I could picture Walt sitting there and around him, it was very dirty. It wasn't a safe area. And he thought to himself, wouldn't it be amazing if there was a place where my daughters could enjoy this kind of experience, but on a bigger scale where it was safe, where families could go and enjoy. It was not money at all that motivated Walt. It was that he wanted to create that. That's what led him to create Disneyland. And in the process of doing something that served other people in a beautiful way, the company made a lot of money, mm -hmm. but that wasn't the reason why he started it. And too many people these days are too quick to jump on a bandwagon of something that they think, oh, here's some money to be made. Mm -hmm. They jump on the bandwagon, but their heart's not in it. Well, guess what happens? The first kind of obstacles that come up 
they're going to trip them up and they're just going to move on to something else. But when your heart's in it, when you're passionate about it, when you get up in the morning and you're excited to fulfill this vision, that's what's going to make you money because, because your heart's in it. It's what you're passionate about. The money will come naturally if you persist at it. Such a beautiful story. And I'll tell you, I mean, I, I've read hundreds of books and the way that book finished, the way you finished, it was so inspiring to me. And I'll share a quick story with that. And just to really touch home with, with you, this was amazing that you talk about the lives of a child because we had a game back in March and it was on my birthday. And the bananas never have games on my birthday because we usually play during the summer. So now we're doing a pro team and we're playing yeah. year round. That's part of our goal. Yeah. And it was my birthday and my son Maverick and our foster daughter were in town, but they couldn't come to the game because my wife is working the game. So we had to have a babysitter. And I really wanted them to see me doing my thing, putting on a show. And unfortunately they couldn't be there. So we're getting ready to do the march and our march is how we open the gates, leave that first impression. The band is leading the way, the mananas, the banana nanas, the team, the, all the fans are lined up an hour and a half, two hours before the game. We're coming out, we're dancing. The fans are all cheering, putting their cameras up and taking video. And as I come around the corner, standing there is my son and my foster daughter just waiting there for me. And they oh. surprised me. Emily planned it. And I immediately picked them both up took them in my arms and started dancing with the fans, hundreds of fans. <laughs> I literally, tears were coming down. Yeah. My the, the fans were saying, what is wrong with Jesse? He's crying in the middle of this opening march. Mm. It was seeing it. the kids and seeing yeah. the joy in their faces. And I think we always have to come back to why we do what we do. And it's the impact we make on people, especially kids, the wonder, the childlike happiness. And that's why it touched me. And I know it's touched thousands of others. And Andrew, I just want to thank you. This has been such an enjoyable time. Oh. And it's been fun. Kudos to you, Jesse, because you're doing everything right. You know, I love seeing what you're doing. It's such an inspiration. It's exciting for me to see a company that's doing it in the right way. And, you know, it's absolutely no surprise that you're having the success that you are because it's so few businesses are doing. It's not difficult. You know, effort is involved and certainly courage is involved to go against the grain, as you've sort of learned, I'm sure. But it is what's necessary to stand out from the crowd. And I just love seeing your, you know, when you sent me that first video, when we connected and I watched the documentary, I absolutely fell in love with what you're doing. I, I think it's fantastic and I can't wait to come and uh, experience it myself. You know, it's, it's so great to see. Well, thank you. You're an inspiration. You've made an impact. You referenced before the WaltDisneyBook.com. Is that correct? Yeah, that's it. So the book was a four-year undertaking. Again, you know, it was money was not the motivation. I wanted it to be the best book about learning from Walt Disney that has ever been written, and uh, that was my motivation to help people. Uh, so I poured my, you know, my heart and soul into it, and. If, you, if you'd like to benefit from the book, if you go to the WaltDisneyBook.com, of course, you can get it from Amazon too. But if you order it via the WaltDisneyBook.com and that follow the instructions, then I'll also give you the uh, entire audible version of the book, which is me reading it too. And, you know, that's sort of fun to hear it in the author's original voice. Amazing. Another way of plussing that Disney ad, something yeah. else. That's great. So, Andrew, thanks again for being on the show. We appreciate you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe that challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered in this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.